This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I appreciate it. I've got a conversation with an Australian music industry icon to share with you. I'm talking about a chat with Steve Kilby, frontman and bassist from the church. And it must be said, a fella who has an illustrious solo career. Now, the catalyst for the chat with Steve is due to the launch. Well, not a launch. It's an Australian tour. An Australian tour, which is happening from the 1st to the 10th of September 2022, taking in select capital cities across our wide brown land. I won't read out the dates because God knows well over 80% of you live abroad who are listening and the dates will probably be meaningless. So if you are in Australia and you are interested, go across to the group's website or Facebook page and I'm sure they will be easily found there. In the chat, we talk about bass playing, the enduring nature of the big hit for the church under the Milky Way. And there's also an exchange about a deep cut buried within Steve's solo career. And you're just gonna have to stick around and find out what that's all about. So I'm not gonna play a tune. We're gonna dive into the conversation straight away. Here he is, Steve Kilby from the church. Steve, can you hear me? I can. Andrew Mackay-Smith. Lovely, lovely to make your acquaintance again. We have actually spoken, uh, is it once before? Maybe more than once, but either way, it was a very enjoyable chat. So I must say I've been looking forward to our meeting again. Thank you. I'm, I'm a bass guitarist. Gonna... What? what? I'm a bass guitarist, <laughs> and I think your bass guitar work is underrated. Um... Look, to tell you, the, is this the interview? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's okay. I'm pretty okay. free-flowing, so go I, for it. Look, I'm not really much of a bass guitarist in the traditional sense, and because I've always played and sat, sung, hmm. is it sang or sung? I can't get the right past tense. Because I've always played and sang at the same time, hmm. my sort of bass playing is... I sort of lope along. So it's it kind of I ac- I had did accidentally stumble on a nice, I think a nice way of playing bass. It's nothing to write home about. It's it's not uh, it, unless you like the way I lope along, because that's what I sort of do. Instead of and it's always interesting when in the studio the other day or a mm. couple of years ago with Ashley Naylor. And he mm-hmm. said, I'm going to play bass on this track. And he gave him a six-string bass. And he was playing it like a bass player. He was playing it like this. Yeah, I always notice yeah. gu- guitarists always do this thing when they play bass. They play the way they think a bass player should play. And I, it's very hard to say what that is, but you you know it when you hear it. It's this, Marty used to do it too. He played just like a bass, like he, they imagine a bass player would play. I don't play like that. Um, I'm I'm just sort of I'm sort of running along like I'm a I, I'm just following the music along. I'm not laying down any foundations. Occasionally, yes, but usually, as I'm singing, the bass is sort of running along. But um, there are so many there are so many bass players, and I listen to them, and I even see like nine year old girls on. Instagram or something, playing bass, doing all that tapping. And, yeah. and I'm like, wow, 
But I, but it was never my ambition to play like that. It was always, it was, I don't know. I, I sort of have a different take on what my bass should be. And it should sort of always be, the sound of it should all be, always be sort of warm and round and fat. Um, yeah. You play with groove though. What, what you're alluding to earlier about guitarists who play basses, they have no understanding of beat and groove. I've seen it so many times. <laughs> and you it, play with a lot of groove. Well, thank you. Um, that if I do, and I will take that compliment, if I do, let me say when I started, I didn't have a hell of a lot of groove. <laughs> so I've sort of, I have found my groove over the years. Um, I really, you know, when you see a really, when you see a really good guitarist and you think of all the tricks they must have up their sleeve that they could play on a bass, and then instead of doing that, they should do this, but yeah, they're trying too hard to sort of, I don't know what it is, but I I don't like it, that's for sure. Um and I I don't like I don't like that approach to bass, even when you do get the real bass players who sort of do that that sort of thing. It's I don't know, it's very hard to know what I'm talking about, but I, I know no, when I, I understand. Hear it. I understand completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's something that I've what? worked at for decades now about groove and finding finding the deep groove in the pocket. And I often call it the heel and toe methodology. Okay, so I play covers. And when you're playing covers, you're really playing for the girls to dance. No matter what the song is, you want the girls dancing because when the girls dance, the whole room lifts. And if you can't do that, it's actually the bass player's job to do that, believe it or not. And as a bassist, if you can't do that, you're not doing your job. That's a lot of responsibility. Mm. <laughs> it's a big job. <laughs> Got to make the job. girls. Yeah, it's a huge job, mate, making the girls dance. Mm. Yeah, you got to put some funk into it. You got to put some Brothers Johnson into it, as I like to say. And if you can't do that, then you better get listening to some, uh, some Brothers Johnson. Wow! All yeah. right. <laughs> look, let's uh, let's talk about the church because look, I have read the presser, and I understand one of the key reasons that you've offered for performing the church's music is that it's too big a body of work not to keep exploring it. Agreed, by the way. But do you, do you, you. still en- do you still enjoy performing the church's music, or would you rather yes. you do? Okay, go. No, I do. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, the other night we did a corporate gig and it's like a warm-up gig as well for this coming tour and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, it was like it was like I imagine how it might feel being in a football team, a football team that's firing on all cylinders and mm-hmm. everybody's just in the right place at the right time, you don't have to worry. You know when you turn around to pass the ball, the, the skis is going to be there. And the way, exactly you know what, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and it was, um, yeah, I just really, it was so easy. Um, it's not going to be so easy. We didn't do any new songs at this corporate gig. We were just doing sort of ones that we knew pretty well, but, yeah. When we learn these new songs, it's going to be a challenge and hopefully a real, there's a real, I get a real thrill out of playing a new song and, you know, not quite sure everybody knows what's going to happen. I think that's 
sort of flying by the seat of your pants. So there's a few songs, and our new album's kind of gone a bit proggy. Mm. Um, definitely the most proggy album we've ever made. Sort of, um, we stepped up the musicality. When we were writing these songs, for the first time ever, everybody in the band, as we were writing them, was thinking of all the parameters that we could possibly alter, things you may not normally do. And um, I don't know, it's sort of like more complex music than, you know, sort of our first album. It's sort of whether that's a good thing or not is going to be really up to the listeners to decide. But I'm really enjoying this sort of, I say proggy for want of a better word. Um, it's sort of, an Italian album really impressed me and not, not a lot of people talk about it. Lou Reed, Rock and Roll Animal. Have you ever heard that album? I, I know of its existence, but I can't sound familiar. Uh, live album. Ahead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a sort of album of this, um, a guy co coined this phrase to talk about us, guitar architecture. But it's mm. like, it was this album that had two like lead guitarists and a really good bass player and keyboard player, but these two lead guitarists, and they're sort of like the songs sort of had this sort of architecture to them. Um, beyond Jingle Jangle, it's like moving on from Jingle Jangle to sort of more orchestral lines with the guitars. And mm -hmm. we've also, we're also exploring a lot more um, tuneful ambience and using the guitars to create sort of like, I guess what would be orchestral sounds, which could could have been strings or trombones or French horns or something, you know, generating that with a guitar, but kind of sort of having these really fleshed out arrangements with um, everybody in the band using all their knowledge and skill to try and make the songs as great as, you know, <laughs> make the church great again, um, <laughs> sort of. So that so that's what it is, and and more complex and more experimental. However, amongst all of that, there is like there's sort of two or three classic sort of songs that are like the church that we always do. So mm. it's not it's not all hard work. You're surrounded by a great team, and I imagine at this point in time. You could pretty much pick who you want to work with. So you have picked, you have chosen Ian from Powderfinger and also Ash Taylor, who you mentioned before, who was in a band. I remember even back in the day. Yeah. So yeah. So is this your dream team at the moment? And my ad, we also have a fifth member, Jeffrey Kane, the who was the guitarist and songwriting guy behind an American band called Remy Zero. Um, they weren't too big in Australia, but they were pretty big oh, in America and England for a while. So he's joined as well on guitar and keyboards. Um, yeah, it is the dream team. Yeah, I'm, I, I think we're, we're, everybody's, some people are better at music than others. It's like, like, the things you bring to a band and things you bring to the music aren't just virtuosity. 
there's these sort of feelings and these desires. And I think with the group of people we've got right now, there's just this wonderful, God, I'm talking some real cliches today. There's this wonderful symbiotic sort of gestalt playing and feeling mm -hmm. where everybody's bending towards us like once again, it's like the football team analogy. Everybody's moving towards this idea of how to do things. Um, and it's sort of within, without stopping sounding like the church, within our own, our own sort of thing, we, we have really, we, with this group of players, we have really progressed. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Do, do you give them much freedom to interpret classic material? I think I have never none of, I've never said to the players, to either of those guitarists, um, play it like this or like that. Um, they usually start off being pretty much how it was, and then sometimes they sort of soup it up a little um and muscle it up a little and other times other times they've um played it really straight and even sort of de-escalated the sound so um they they pretty much play the same lines obviously the solos are now their own but their sounds are kind of you know skies with these great big pedal boards and you know they that's their that's the thing, isn't it? You know, is yeah. I don't, I don't get involved. I don't get involved in the sort of guitar sounds particularly. Um, it, it's kind of bewildering to me. I'm so glad. I realised I have to go on stage and remember the bass and remember how to sing and remember the words, but that's it. These guys have to go on and play their guitars, but then they've got these bewildering sort of setups and chains of all their guitar pedals mm. that, fuck, I'm glad I can't, don't have to deal with that. That's why I would never be a guitarist in a band. I, I, I sort of like a piano player. I just want my piano to sound like a piano. I sit down mm. at the piano and it's always going to sound. That's how I feel about the bass. There's no effects. There's no, there's no nothing, you know. Maybe I might go wild and have an echo on it or something, but I pretty much let the sound man do whatever he, he wants to do with it. But so I'm glad, I'm glad all those, all that technology and pedals is left to somebody else. I don't know if it has to be as complicated as they make it, um, but you know, when you when you get guitar when you get a guitar player come. He comes in with his pedal board and that's it. You know, you don't – it'd be very rude to say, hey, can you turn that fucking flanger off, I reckon. Yeah. You just got to – they sort of – they normally come to the right conclusion, I think, on their own. The biggest issue I've found playing with musicians, guitarists specifically, who have a lot of – a lot of things in a row on a pedal board or one of those enormous fractal systems or axe effect systems or what have you, they forget the bloody things and leave them at home when you're out in the middle of Queensland, you know, playing a gig at Billowheel ah. or somewhere like that. And you're like, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, we've just got to play the gig. 
And yeah. you think, just simplify your sound to a point where if the disaster, if the inevitable disaster occurs, and it's almost it almost happens to everybody at least once. How many, for example, how many times is the battery case busted on your base when you're on stage and you're like, what's going on? Meaning that the battery's either flat or the battery case itself has stopped working. I play Music Man basses, so that's happened a couple of times. But you've always got to have contingency, whether it's another guitar or whether it's awareness of your rig. So as if there's a problem, the show can still go on. I look. I look. I think. Um, I think there's a load of problems with guitar pedals. And I thought what the one you were going to say. Mm. Um, we never have forgetting because we have, you know, it's all packed up and usually us down the airport loading it all on the plane at six o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, but I think the trouble with with pedal boards is sometimes they go hideously wrong and the guy jumps in and he thinks he's going to have one, some quiet ambient thing going and then suddenly you've got blah, <laughs> sort of just jumps out of nowhere. Mm. That happens a bit. Um, it's also worth remembering that, say, a band like Television or even the Beatles they just went straight into their amps, and yeah. there is a something. There is something beautiful about an electric guitar in an amplifier that doesn't. I don't think any guitarists. I don't know if there's many doing it that way anymore. Um, I almost. I was thinking about this the other night, saying to these guys in the band, "I've got a brilliant idea. Let's do something really original. Have no pedals." Just the amp and the guitar and whatever you can get out of it. Like hmm. there's a bit of reverb in those amps, you know, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And if you really want some delay in a, on a guitar, something you can put it on with a later on. I tend to agree. Yeah, I, I just play straight. I used to have a big God. It used to be set up behind me here because I used to be testing it out all the time. But uh, big Galleon Kruger system with compressor, uh, and uh, what else did I have in there? It went through a chain anyway, and it was always this nine mega megahertz buzz coming back off it. The other night, I just plugged my little backup amp into the speaker box, straight, and I didn't even use it through the desk and. Voila, and I could feel it because it's hitting the back of your legs. You know what I'm talking about with the amps. They feel well, they hit the back of your legs. And it feels you know what? You know what? Guess what sort of amp I use. You might not use no. one. You might use a feed no. feedback. Yeah. I, I, I plug straight in and I love it. And I'm not a big fan of bass amps. Um, I've got this. I've got this beautiful Fender bass and it's got a beautiful sound. And mm. as soon as I put it through anything at all, it ain't going to sound like that. And when I put it into the foldback through a, um, a sound amp, just to boost. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. The yeah. DI, give it a boost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, it's a little bit under if you don't have something boosting the sound up. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I can, I can, well, I mean, you're an international artists and you've got to have something that you got to have, a bit different to what I'm doing as a local yokel on the stages around Brisbane and Queensland so hey with with it under a milky way that's that song has been covered almost more than it could be yeah you know, it's probably other songs that have been covered by an Australian artist as much but certainly as a cursory glance 
I don't think any other song has been covered as much as that one is broadly either by notable artists I'm talking about. So Eskimo Joe, Sia, Craig Obey, that big hit that I think he had a big hit with a remix version of it a few years ago. Uh, Jimmy Little did a version. Jimmy Little did a version. George uh, did a version as well. Which one's your favourite? Crowded, Crowded House. Crowded House. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they 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 did one this year, um, and it was really, it was really muted. It was mm. it was really oh wow he really very clever man he he got another emotion out of the song. Um, he sort of really I don't know milked the disappointment. You know, like I sort of, I sort of gloss over the song. I think my version is very much. I'm a singer singing a song, but when Neil did it, it he really brought he flesh he brought some dimension, but a fourth dimension to the whole thing. I think, and he really, um, well, I've heard heard it so many times. He he really found something else in it. Jimmy Little found something beautiful in it as well. Um, yeah. I listened to that this morning. The Killers used to do it as a live encore as well. Um, wow, these are yeah. prominent names. These are huge names you're talking about. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> yeah, but it's a great co-sign for you. But isn't that a great co-sign for your songwriting, for your talents as a songwriter? That that such a broad range of artists, as prominent as what they are, pick that song up? It's sort of, yeah, when it's just one song, though, like that, it's sort of, the song is more well-known than you are. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's sort of like... Yeah, dude, I it transcends you. If yeah. I, I'm glad to have had one, one, um, to have one big hit, but it would have been nice, you know, to have a few more. And it wasn't just that that one. But having said that, at least I've got the one. Does its enduring success intrigue you in so far as you've written, you're on record as having written something like over a thousand songs that are in the uh, APRA catalogue. So that one song, In and Amongst Them All, if you had all of your work laid out before you when you're in, say, late 20s, early 30s, this sort of thing, right when you're in the prime of the church, would that be the song that you'd pick and say, this is the one? A Little Milky Way? Hmm. No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Um, I, I, I find it, but I, look, I find it hard to define myself by one song. But if it was that, I, I, I wouldn't mind. You know, like I'm, I'm glad it is, I'm glad it's a sort of an okay song. I'm glad it wasn't a sort of a novelty or some stupid sort. Of, I'm glad it was that. But yeah, I know we I know we disagreed last time on this point, but I think one of your greatest songs was is that? Uh, "As You Like It." I think "As You Like It" is one of your finest tunes. Are you talking about "As You Like It"? This one I wrote for this. Reckless Kelly. Reckless Kelly. Correct. Are you joking? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. We disagreed on oh the last time. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's a great tune. It's got a wonderful groove yeah. to it. It's. I know you didn't. It doesn't sound like anything else in your catalogue. I was it surprised. That, yeah, I was surprised. It was. Where like, did you hear that? 
Oh, I was, I'm 44, so that movie was right smack bang in the middle of my teenage years, and I bought the soundtrack. And I and the see. song that was easily the best song on the soundtrack. It was a grower. I didn't jump out at first, but I listened to that soundtrack to death. And your song for a fairly maudlin young fella in a bloody southern boarding school as I was, that was a bit of a touchstone, that that song. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it strange? Um I haven't thought about that song for a hundred years. Um but that's so strange that someone out there like that humble sort of knock together song. No, it's killer. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a great song. I mean, but this is the thing about great songwriters like you is that you don't know how you affect people until you get the feedback. You sort of put it out there. You and don't. It's out there. Yeah. It's like firing arrows out into the world. It really is. You're firing arrows out mm. and you don't know if any of them hit anybody or you don't know how you're hitting them. And you don't realize, mm. you know, you just you do a song one day for a movie, and I just say, kid in a boarding school liked it. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> I think it was your your vocal take on that one too. If you can remember how many takes it it took for you to get that the uh, version that was then published, because I remember I'd listening say, to that. You're right. I'd say one. One or two, I would have gone in there and said, "Hey, I've I've got some lyrics. Let's try this," and then I would have sung it. And then probably the engineer said, "Okay, now let's do it again. That's good." And then I would have probably sung it like maybe a third time, but that would have been it. Mm. I've used it's it a as a double track. Is it double track? Yeah, I I must be, it, yeah, I'm trying to think. It must be, yeah. I'm just trying to yeah. think about the chorus bit, yeah, because it doesn't – I mean, it's just got that love doesn't okay. come I, as you like it. You know, you've got that vocal cadence in that bit there. Um, and I've used it as – you can tell I've used it as a touchstone in the car when I'm on the way to a gig and I sing along to that one to warm up. Wow. That's fucking bizarre. <laughs> it really is. Well, That's really strange to me. That's really – it's sort of like it's like going on a holiday to Greenland and the guy staying in the room next door to you is somebody you know. It's sort of like mm. to me that, that's it's so unlikely that anyone would ever like that song or ever mention it. Um, so mm. that's made my day. <laughs> I think it hints at you know, I'm 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 heaping on the praise here, but I think it it hints at your your qualities as a songwriter that you can have a song like that that affects a bloke you don't know. You know, you know, you're a, a very southern. complimentary. You're a very complimentary young man. You know that. Thank you for all the kind things you say. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm. It's always nice. Some some days you think, wow, you know, like I nobody likes what I do, and then <laughs> next day you hear something nice about this about a song you've completely forgotten about. So mm. thank you. I'm really happy to hear this. No, my pleasure. Yeah, somebody else who, who I got into it around about the same time who uh, had an effect on me was Peter Murphy in Bauhaus. Now I could be uh, wrong. Well, yeah, you guys mates, because I'd love to see you guys collaborate no, if it hasn't uh, already happened. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, we were mates. Um, no, they, they, um, he when he went solo, he had to open for us, and he wasn't very happy about that. Uh, um, in nineteen eighty eight, and we never became mates. Um, that's He's um, 
Yeah, maybe it is. Um, I don't know if there's room enough in one town for him and I. Maybe we're too much of, in some ways, got too many similarities. Um, I've spoken, I've now mm. spoken to you both, and I'll tell you what, you're very similar as people. Just in the five minutes <laughs> or so we've been talking for, you know, that's what that's the impression that I get. I've always thought of you as artists in tandem, you know, but yeah, maybe Thank it's a case you. of being, being two alike. Yeah. What a shame. He could have been my best mate in the world and we never really hit it off. Well, you could have done something like what Queen did with David Bowie and Under Pressure, that your your version. That's what there's so much great music that I think in my head. You know, I do a lot of swimming, right? I'm a compulsive swimmer and I think about <laughs> this the random thoughts coming outside of all of the usual stuff about raising family and the job and all the rest of it. I think about I, I think great... about music. Yeah. Oh, sorry, no, I, I was just gonna say I, I swim too. And I think about music as I swim up and down in the pool. And yeah. I I solve little musical problems for myself. Hey, what's the time? Have you got to head off because you got it's twenty seven past twelve now? I let's wrap it up, as they say. I've got literally a hundred more questions to ask, but that's cool. Um, what can I say? It's it's always great to talk to you. I love your music, as you can tell. Good luck with the tour. I don't think you'll need it because the quality of the songs is going to carry you guys across and the band sounds killer to your point. Um, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Steve. I'll, I'll see you up here in Brisbane. Okay, mate. Thanks, mate. Catch Bye. Up. Well, there you have it, ladies and gents. Steve Kilby, what a fella. And I wasn't joking when I said I had many more questions to ask him and topics to discuss, but that's all good because we'll save it for next time. I've written a book, Scars and Guitars, Tales from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond, Volume 1. Go to scarsandguitars.com, click on the link in the banner. It'll come up straight away as soon as you go to scarsandguitars.com. Click on that link and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you can download a sample. If you do complete the purchase, do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. There's a lot more to say about the book and that will be done after I bid you a fond farewell. So my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, 
of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.